Call the dogs in because you're listening to the Fieldmaster Podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to episode number three of the Fieldmaster Podcast. I'm joined by my awesome friends, Ryan and Sam, hey, yo. as well as Caleb, who is in the background making sure we look and sound good. So uh, we've got a very special guest today. We actually just got done spending almost three Three days? Three. Three days with him. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gibson, kennel master and director of gun dog operations at Mossy Oaks Gamekeeper Kennel in West Point, Mississippi. Uh, in 2004, Bill was part of the first U.S. gun dog team to participate in the United Kingdom and won the International Gun Dog Challenge, beating out England, Scotland, Wales, and more. It's quite an accomplishment, Bill. Thank you. Appreciate that. I thought it was too. Yeah. I never expected to win. Yeah. Right. I know you were telling us a story when we were there that you just expected to go over and, and try out and you had a buddy and you were saying that, you know, your buddy actually did pretty not great and you beat him out and he wasn't very happy. Yeah. What they did is they took all the scores and added them together. Right. And came up with a total score for each team. And uh, we had the the highest score. Right. But uh, actually, after the first dog ran, we were in last place. And then uh, my buddy ran, and he pulled us up to next to last, and I ran, and it pulled us up to second. And we finally dug it up to number one. So you were the anchor. (laughs) You were the anchor then. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me – Kennel master and director of gun dog operations. That's a pretty big title. Yeah. I don't use kennel master very often. No. Yeah, they have a lot of names for me other than that. But uh, <laughs> some I of those just we call can't myself say. A, a trainer. Yeah. 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 So you've been now, let's say you've been working with dogs though for a long time. Oh, uh, just about all my life. <laughs> right. So uh tell me when was when did you get your first dog or when did you really start training? Your dogs. Well, I, I got my first dog way back there. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was probably the uh, early 60s. Early 60s. Yeah. Gotcha. And when I uh, had to go on active duty in the Navy, mm-hmm. then I gave that dog to a friend of mine. And I didn't have a dog while I was in the Navy. After I got out, I got another. But I wasn't a very good trainer back then. I didn't really understand the concepts. You know, I, I like meat dogs. They just go out, pick a duck up, and bring it back. Right. Yeah. And I really got into training about, uh, oh, the year 2000. Yeah. Late 99, early 2000. Yeah. So before the, um, before, or I should say, so you went into the Navy. Right. What Now tell me about what you did in the Navy. I was a machinist mate in the forward engine room. Gotcha. And uh, my primary responsibility after I'd been on there a while was water king. Gotcha. I was responsible for making the fresh water for the boilers and the fresh water for showers and and uh, cooking and all that stuff. And there's a difference. You want a, uh, a little bit of impurity in the shower water and the dish water. Otherwise, you stand there and you soap up and you just soaped up. It won't wash it off. Right. But in the boilers, it was imperative that it be very clean. Right. And yeah, because you don't want those impurities like boiling right. off and stuff like that. So they stick to the, to the boiler tubes. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Gotcha. And so uh, you got out of the Navy, and then you went to work doing what? I was an uh, office machine repairman, believe it or not. Okay. For Remington Rand. Yep. And a dealer. 
and I did that for a few years, and they passed the Vietnam Veterans GI Bill. Mm -hmm. And I decided I'd go to school, ended up Mississippi State, went four years, and got a degree in accounting. Now, this something is happening with our podcast, and we kind of touched on this at lunch, but this is almost becoming the Mississippi State alumni podcast That's because right. you're you're number two in a row. <laughs> yes. so, something's going on here. Yeah. I think we need to get some a different team. We need we might need to roll tide. Well, <laughs> I don't I don't know that we need to do that, but you know, my, my friend's got one of my labs, <laughs> and he says. Roll Tide, and the dog goes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He rolls. Roll over. That is yeah. funny. That's good. That's cute. So you uh, you went to school at Mississippi State, got your degree in counting, and uh, what did you do with that? Not much. Not much. <laughs> well, I went to work with DOD in the uh, Department of Defense, mm -hmm. and I stayed there six, uh, six to eight months, and we were expecting our first child, and that travel was 100%, so I had to get out of that. Right. I went with a CPA firm, and uh, that just was not my cup of tea. I couldn't sit behind a desk. And count beans. Every day and count beans. I yeah. had to do something different. So when tax season was over, I was offered a job with Treasury Department, and uh, I didn't contact them. They contacted me, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the job and ended up uh, – as a special agent with Treasury. Gotcha. Assigned to the uh, Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force and then later the Anti-Terrorism Task Force. Yeah. So you, with that, you traveled the world. Yeah, I traveled a good bit. Yeah. So what's, what's funny is that, you know, you kind of, it was a full-time travel job and then you stopped so you could become an accountant. And then you took a f another full-time travel job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I could get home on the weekends. There it wasn't you like go. The first job, you might be gone three months at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And we would live on the local economy, if even overseas. So, yeah. You know, and, and with our first child, we didn't want to stay in a place for three or four months at a time and move to another place three yeah. or four months. Yeah. Where with Treasury Department, I'd be gone eh, a week. Sometimes two weeks. Yeah. But I'd be back home normally on the weekend. Well, that's good then. And my wife didn't have to travel. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the baby. Oh, yeah. That's with a newborn. I know. I got, I've got. i got one on the way, and uh, she's already – we we just traveled. And she's like, you're gone already. I'm like, the baby's not here yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get this out of the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to get this out of the way. Um, so after that, you had a you had a career in law enforcement. Right. Which you were uh, assistant chief in Tupelo, Mississippi. Yeah, for six and a half years. Right. And then I was chief of police in West Point for three and a half years. Yeah, and it was your old buddy who called you and right. said, hey, you're going to be the new. The new police chief in West Point. I said, yeah, who said that? <laughs> he said, I did. <laughs> so hey. I moved down there, and this is where the real happenstance comes in. Yeah. Uh, I moved down, and I buy the mayor's son's house. And it happens to be next door to Toxie Hayes, the CEO of Moth Silk. So I, I was trained in labs in my yard. And uh, he asked me, would you train my labs? And I said, sure, if I can use your land to train on, because, you know, it joins mine. Yeah. And he said, that'd be fine. And then he starts talking about, well, let's start us a kennel. And that's how I ended up where I am now. Talk turned to action. And yeah. I ended up as uh I guess you'd say the director of gun dog operations. <laughs> director of gun dog operations. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Hey everyone, we wanted to let you know that the Fieldmaster podcast is brought to you by Sportsman's Pride Professional Dog Food. If you want to experience the Sportsman's Pride difference in your dog, you can visit sportsmanspride.com and click shop now or click the link in the show notes. Use code FIELDMASTER to save 10% off of your first purchase. Thanks Sportsman's Pride for sponsoring today's episode. Remember, you can save 10% by using code FIELDMASTER at checkout. That's code FIELDMASTER to save 10% on your first order. Boy, I appreciate them. I know that much. (laughs) (laughs) They have a really good product. It keeps my dogs healthy. It keeps a good coat on my dogs. I get low stools, so it makes my cleanup easier every day. Because you do have to clean everything. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's right. You guys are clean down at the kennels. (laughs) Yeah, we see it. All right, Bill. So we're back. So I want to talk about, we kind of started alluding to it. So you moved next to Toxie. Right. Which... Did you know you were moving next to Toxie, or did you kind of like buy the house and then you're like, oh, this is Toxie's place? No, I bought the house and then I found out who my neighbors were. Yeah. It's a good neighbor to have. That's right. Yeah. He's a really good guy. <laughs> yeah. We, um, when good we, neighbor. Yeah. When we were in West Point, we got to meet Toxie yeah. and it was super nice. Kind of, you know, wanted to know what we were doing, told him we were hanging out with you, and he was all elated. He was, he was glad that we were hanging out with you. He's a great guy. So you started training his dogs. And it led to what we know today as Mossy Oak Kennels. Right. Kind of amazing how life can take you on that journey sometimes. Yeah, because if I'd never taken a job as police chief and bought the house that I bought and moved mm-hmm. into the neighborhood, I might not have ever known Toxie. And you guys are still neighbors today. We're still neighbors today. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is That's it great. is it kind of like, you know, well, Toxie, I guess Toxie's not down at the kennels, you know, necessarily every day. But you guys still see each other probably almost every day. Yes, we see each other when he passes the house. Yeah, and, you know, and I'll wave to him and yeah. his dogs. He's got a, a fence around his yard, an underground fence. Gotcha. Dog wears a collar. Yeah. Well, his his main dog, when he hears my truck coming, if he's outside, he runs up to, well, maybe ten foot from the one. Um, buried wire yeah mm-hmm. and starts barking for me to come throw him a dummy <laughs> <laughs> so really is it toxie's dog or you know he's got well it came out of my uh, litter of pups i had at the house gotcha but he's toxic dog yeah <laughs> but he he does love to bark at me to come play with him <laughs> <laughs> i believe it i believe it so um so tell me how was it kind of toxic who's just like hey i have this idea because this is a while ago. I mean, you started, Mossy Oak Kennel started in... 2015, 2015, roughly. yeah. So the, Mossy Oak obviously has been around for a, a long time. And was it just kind of something where it was like, hey, we want to try it and let's see where it goes? No, it's, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> and, uh, but it took a little while, you know, to get everything put together. Right. And uh, find a piece of land that it found one they already had. Yeah. And build a kennel. Building a kennel took a while. I believe it. Yeah. Well, right around 2015, too, I mean, there was a lot, you know, kind of going on. And, you know, it was, I was trying to think, actually, that's not, I don't know why. I was thinking 28. That's that's not 2008. Yeah, I don't know why. I was like, what was going on in 2015? 2008, 2009. I was like, that's not, no, 2015. Yeah. Yeah. you know, that was a college year. So there was a lot going on there. But <laughs> for you, yeah, yeah. For me, and the world was busy. On. Yeah, for me, I was like, wow, the, the world was just busy. Some brain, <laughs> brain cells missing from those years. You know what? Uh, I'd rather not talk about it on this podcast. Um, so you guys started out, did you start out with a specific breed of dog or did you kind of find one right off the bat? Well, 
we started out with what we had. Right. I had uh, three uh, British Labrador retrievers, mm -hmm. and of course he had a puppy, and then he had a another dog about that same time, another puppy, off of uh, one of the Mosso guys' British labs. Then, uh, so we just started with very limited resources as far as labs. Right. It was fairly easy to keep the kennel clean because we didn't have that many dogs at that point. Right. In time. Yeah. And then we just grew from there. And I had contacts in uh, in the UK and Republic of Ireland where I could buy puppies or buy dogs. And we bought dogs and brought them over and then kept adding and adding and adding. Today we have about uh, 28 labs, maybe 30 that belong to us. Yeah, and what's what's really unique is it is British labs. They're all British labs, which are field dogs. They're actual hunting dogs, field trial dogs. They're not show dogs. Right. So the, the British lab is different from, let's say, a standard American lab in that it's shorter and it's got uh, it's a little bit narrower as well. Yeah, it's a, just a basic size difference. It's probably just a little bit wider than the American lab. Oh, okay. But a little bit shorter. Right. And the uh, some of them have a little bit bigger head and have that uh, otter tail oh. that people like to see. Yeah, wide, the wide tail. Yeah, you know, so, now that you say that, we were just there for three days, and I just now noticed that. That's what I'm trying to think back. I'm like, was it? I I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a bigger tail and bushier tail. Yeah, yeah that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, um, British labs are what you guys special in specialize in, right? And you um, get the puppies over in the the UK. Yes, and then we have them shipped over here, then uh, pick them up at the airport clear customs, bring them back, and start them in, on their kennel life and yeah. training. Yeah. Now, for those who may not know, it's not like a week-old puppy. No, you it's, know, th it's about 10 weeks old. Yeah, it's going to be about 10 weeks yeah. old and, and things like that. They have to meet the criteria to fly over here, 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. Temperatures have to be between, say, 20 and 85 degrees. Anything above 85, they won't fly. Anything below 20, they won't fly. Mm -hmm. And they fly in the cargo hole, but mm -hmm. it's heated it's cooled, and it's pressurized. Otherwise, everything down there would not make it. Right. Yeah. be any mm -hmm. oxygen down right. there. Right. Yeah. They so, make it safe for the dogs then. Yeah. And I didn't realize the, the crates that they put the dogs in is something else. Yeah. I mean, we saw one at your place, and it, it blew my mind how much, like, there's some craftsmanship, honestly, into yeah. making those things. It's a wooden wooden dog crate. Oh, on the patio? But it's really yeah. well made, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's surprising. So, now you said between eighty-five and twenty. Is that temperature outside? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Tarmac temperature. Gotcha. Okay. That's really. Because, I didn't know that either. Once you get up here, you know, at thirty-five thousand feet, it's gonna be cold. Yeah, it's yeah. cold. Yeah. I didn't realize that that it had to be like a certain temperature. Yeah, I've had I've had dogs that are puppies that people bought, and take them to the airport to ship them to them, and started back to the kennel. Get a phone call from the airport. Said, "Hey, it's uh, at the time it was eighty degrees. It said it's eighty-one degrees. You got to come pick your puppy up. Oh, you can't man. fly it because wow. it's one degree above wow. what our allowance is. And yeah, have to go pick it up. And it's, a, it's, a, it's really a not, sort of a nightmare shipping yeah. one to meet the clearances. Like one day I had one to ship. Got to the airport. This lady was carrying two little kennels. Had those little bitty 
chihuahuas or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being a nice guy from the South, I hold the door for her. Uh-huh. She goes to the counter, checks hers in. I get up there and I said, you can't fly yours. Uh. I said, pardon? I've had this reservation for quite some time. They said, the lady, before you check two, and we only allow two on the airplane. Oh, <laughs> oh unbelievable. So, wow. I learned a lesson. <laughs> Don't hold the door. Don't hold the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll teach you. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny is uh, when right out of college, I moved to Memphis for uh, a few years, and my first day there, I was going to get a um, – kind of like extended stay hotel type situation wasn't in the best part of Memphis. So I decided not to, well, long story short, I was apartment searching then at that point. And there was a, a male lady coming to, you know, deliver to the apartment complex that I was looking at. And I went to go open the door for, her, and she kind of gave me like a look and I was like, okay, sorry. You know, I was just trying to be polite. And then she went to go uh, lug like the the dolly of mail up the stairs so I grabbed the bottom and I was going to help her and she like snapped and she was like I don't need your help I don't think you like you don't know who I am like why are you trying to help me well and I was like I'm so sorry <laughs> I was just <laughs> trying to help that's I mean nice. we're just trying to do the right thing Bill that's yeah raised in the south that's it yeah we're just you, trying you, to be nice yeah back in that day you were taught to do the right thing every that's time that's it that's it so tell me what so in your opinion, the the British lab, because there's a few things that I noticed, but I, I want to hear it straight from the expert. The British lab is so unique in a few different ways. One for me personally is they're quiet. They do not get loud. I mean, obviously, when it's probably like feeding time and stuff like that, they'll let you know that they're hungry. But I mean, from your from your perspective, what is it about the British lab that makes them so unique? The way that they have been raised and propagated in the UK for eons, really, they they have a a certain standard in mind, and that dog before it's bred is going to meet that standard. And one of them is quietness, because if they run it in a field trial over there, it whines, it barks, makes any kind of noise, it's disqualified that quick. And uh, so they, they, you know, when you when you breed for that, and you exclude dogs that are noisy in the blind, noisy in the hide, as they call it or noise on the line, then you're going to get quietness in the long run. And that's that's where that comes from. And they also uh, like a dog that's got natural game find ability. They like a dog that's really steady. So they stress steadiness. A dog that breaks on the line or breaks in the hide, he's probably not going to breed over there. So yeah, genetically, he's wired that way or she is wired that way. Right. Depending on whether it's a... a a boy or girl dog. Yeah. And uh, then the use of the nose, they encourage that. They want a natural game-finding ability, the way they phrase it. They want a dog that goes out without any help. When it crosses the, the scent cone, it'll turn and go pick the bird and bring it back. And then when they bring it back, the first thing the judge does is he starts doing this, looking at the feathers to see if there's any teeth marks in the skin. He also feels of it to make sure the ribs are not crushed. And if the ribs are crushed and there's a tooth mark on the skin, you're out of there. Boom. So they like a soft mouth. They like a good nose. They like bitability. They like trainability. And they they propagate pups along those lines. Wow. It's yeah. strict. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah. very different from what I know over here in the field trials, which is they want to direct the dog 
to where to go. Precision handling, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I like what you're talking about, which is the, the natural ability to, yeah. to know how to work and, and stuff. Because over there, you're not running on a, a mowed field. You're mm-hmm. running high grass, then cover, woods, right. uh, brush. It just heather. You're yeah. running in the heather. And when a dog leaves your side, sometimes three foot, you can't see it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's got to have some natural game found the building. One of my dogs would run out maybe 100 yards in, in, in tall grass, and it would stop, turn around, and stand on his hind legs and look at me to get directions. <laughs> <laughs> like, <"What> <laughs> Trying to figure out where to yeah. go. Yeah. That is so cute, though. Because, you know, when you're, when you're in tall grass, the terrain changes as, you, as the dog runs. Right. And they get a little off, and they inhale scent cones. They yeah. even stand up on his hind legs. That's really funny. Um, so the the other thing that I noticed about the the British Lab is they are they're very well behaved when it comes time to uh, work. It's time to work, mm-hmm. and when it's not. It's like two completely different dogs. Yeah, that's yeah. what they call the on and off switch. Yeah. Like a light switch, you know. You put your hunting clothes on, that dog is amped then. It's ready right. to go. Mm-hmm. That's cut the switch on. Yeah. yeah. When it comes back and it go in the house, you want the switch off so it lays down, behaves itself. It's not eating the end off the sofa or tearing right. the rug up or eating the facing off the door or yeah. any of those things. Yeah. It was interesting to see the, the switch within it because they come out, you, you pet them, you're all, it's all lovey-dovey, and then it's just like heel, and it's just like, whoop. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that on-off switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. You, you hear a lot of people talk about that, but you got to see it to believe it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we On this podcast, we've, jo- we've joked about my dog, Oreo. No on-off switch. It's just it's on. It's either all the way on or it's all the way off. And she yeah. So um one of the things that is really unique and kinda, you know, reading up before we came out there and then seeing it in person was the low force training method that you guys used. And it was actually developed in the United Kingdom. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about why did you choose that style? What was it about the low force method that really made you want to pursue that? Well, the main thing that impressed me was the dog that they ended up with. Yeah. They ended up with a with the same dog every day. Mm-hmm. Where and people may hate me for this, but where you collar train and collar train is fine. I have nothing against that. But to me you end up with two dogs, one on the collar and one off the collar. Yeah. And I just soon have a dog that does it because it wants to, not because it's made to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the main difference between an aversive type situation and non-aversive type mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. No, it's that's that's how toast is. My dog, it's put the collar on. It's like, oh, he's well behaved. Take the collar off. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe we <laughs> might have gone in the wrong route with that one. Yeah, but you know, I, I understand why people train with collars. It's a faster method. It's fast. It's a, and it's a good method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just not my method. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we have. I mean, with Oreo, we we've had her since. I mean, she was straight up came out of a field, and that's how, like, we got her. Don't know her past, nothing like that. And so we've tried um, kind of like a, a metal cinch collar. We've tried that, and she'll just pull. It, it doesn't matter. It, she'll just pull. And so we tried an e-collar, and it took, I mean, just the beep alone, and she automatically yeah. sits. Yeah. But if that thing's not on and she's jumping all over the place, it is 
completely different. Yeah. So that's just what I call two different dogs. Yeah, it's not true on all of them. Yeah, you know, but but some of them end up that way. Two different dogs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One I, with the collar on because they understand the collar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one with the collar off. Yeah. And uh, like I say, not all of them end up that way. Right. And I don't know how to use a collar correctly, and man, I can I can mess one up quick. <laughs> yeah. So. I just prefer the the low pressure yeah. method of training. Well, what's what's nice about that is when we when we are out there hanging out with you, you know, your their punishment is a it's just a loud kind of like hey uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it yeah. that's their that's, punishment yeah. and that's then a their max. <laughs> yeah and what's unique is um, I didn't consider this until you said it, but their reward when you're out training is the retrieve. That's right. I think that is so different than what I thought, yeah. which was, no, that's the job. So, like, they have to do it. Yeah. And that's their reward. And it really makes so much more sense. And you can do you can do a treat when they're younger, but then you got yeah. to wean them off the treat a little right. bit yeah. and, and change over and go to the retrieve because the retrieve, to me, is always the reward. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can so. tell it's their reward whenever one's training and the other one's waiting to yeah. train. The one that's waiting is going. It's just like oh, I want to train so bad. Like yeah, you can tell they they but love it's to do gonna it. Not going to run out there. Oh no it's no gonna no. Sit right there. Yeah oh, yeah. And it's going to be steady. You can tell that they want to, but yeah. <laughs> you can tell that that is the treat for and them for sure. And that tail is going. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> really highly alert. Yeah. They, 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 they wag that tail because they're happy. Yeah. yeah. They're doing what they were bred to do. Yeah. They. You can tell they love it. And that and, uh, and that was true with all the dogs that we saw work. Yeah. I mean, we saw one who. Uh, wasn't I wasn't working that day and just kind of you know needed some a little bit of help, but they did something wrong and so they didn't get to do the retrieve. Right, and that's almost like you know your parents saying, "I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed." That's like worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's way worse, you know. Yeah. And so it was it was really interesting to see that. And then like you know Sam was saying, all the dogs just love to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not they don't come out scared. They would almost always immediately rush to you. It was yeah. I th- I think it's it was really unique. Yeah, and they they just look really happy. And they even are. whenever I got home, I'm like I'm going to start training differently <laughs> now. I'm like <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know. This old cold, you know, when you let him out the back, what does he do? He runs up to my desk and sits in the same place and he'll sit there for 8 hours a day and never move a muscle. Yeah. When we went out duck hunting on Thursday morning, Ross oh. didn't leave. He would kind of walk away, check on everyone else, and then come right back. Mm-hmm. Or something like, Ross, Ross, I wanted him to look at me. He's like, I'm on the job right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just sat so Like he's punctual. waiting for a performance yeah. review. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's I, like I nope, you're not going to distract up. me. Yeah. Not gonna, I'm not going to fall for that one. Yeah, that, that was great. That's what you got to have in a duck blind. You don't want a dog. That's running up and down the blind, running into guns, creating a dangerous situation, mm-hmm. aggravating people, barking and whining when the duck starts circling above here. Yeah. You want yeah. a dog to sit there steady and quiet and never moves. And all you got to do is while you don't have to sit there, your head up, you just sit there and watch the dog. When that head goes <laughs> up, ducks are coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, no, he did. He was great. He was great out there. He's a great dog. He yeah. really is. Yeah. I just wanted to pet him, though. He's just I like, know. nope. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. must have been Sam. It, yeah. uh, that must have been and that. Most of them, when they're sitting in the duck blind, well, all of them I've got, really, and you reach out to pet them on the head, they'll flip your hand off the <laughs> head like, 
leave me alone. I'm working <laughs> yeah. today. I'm working yeah. here. Yeah. So what, what also stood out to me is each dog was different. So there was no one single hand approach. There was not, you know, like we have to do this dog with this, like on this day so that it meets this schedule. I mean, you overall have a plan of how you want the dog to develop, but each but it one changes. Each one is different. Yeah. And you, you learn the mannerisms of each dog. And then I think that really helps you kind of develop like a custom plan for each dog. It does. Yeah. And we don't have a can program, like you say. We don't go A, B, C, D. We may go A, B, C, M, A, B, C again. Yeah. You know. And uh, so we don't have a can program. Everything, we start every day is a different day. If we have a problem, we address that specific problem, but we don't address anything else that day except that problem. Then the next day, if we've got that pretty well behind us, then we'll run through A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, to where we were the day before. Right. And I then imagine. We'll, then we'll turn around and start something new. Yeah, I imagine that you can solve a, a lot trickier problems with dogs with that method where you you don't have just five different exercises to run. And if you don't. Right. If it doesn't work for you, then I guess your dog's not going to work. But are there situations where you've had to create some type of solution or exercise? Many, many times. Just yeah. for that one dog. Yeah. yeah. I'd imagine. But, uh, I'll give you an example of low force right quick. Yeah. Okay, the dog is sitting at heel, and I throw a dummy, and it moves. Then I put the lead on the dog. I walk out with the dog. I pick the dummy up myself. I come back with the dog at heel, turn, sit. The dog sits, and I throw the dummy again, and he moves again. We do the same thing. The, the, then the next time he's steady as a rock, he's allowed to go get the dummy. And what's he learning from that? He's learning if he moves, he's not going to get his reward. But if he stays firm, he's going to get his reward. And you'd be surprised. People say, well, dogs can't figure stuff like that out. No. Yeah. They can, they sure believe can. me. Yeah. 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 But that's a classic example, and you saw some of that. Oh, yeah. 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 That's just a low-force method to reinforce uh, steadiness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was – the whole experience for me is was incredibly unique because I've seen some of the ways other trainers do it, and it was almost completely uh, counterintuitive because a lot of times we hear like this dog needs to learn how to do this, and it it it's almost like trying to put you know like a a square peg in a round hole sometimes where the dog is just not getting it that day. And, you know, using your method, I think it's really unique because you do create this kind of custom plan for them. And it may take you, you know, you may have to skirt around it a little bit, but they learn. It just takes them a little a little while. Yeah, and all dogs don't learn from the same routine. You may mm -hmm. have to alter that routine a little bit, that training routine, training regimen, just a little bit to get this dog to do what this dog is doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... And there's, there's a lot of things that come into play there. There's People say, well, all it is is running out and getting the dummy and bringing it back. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> because, <laughs> the, you know, going out to the line before you throw the dummy, you got heel work, you got the sit command, you got the place command, you've got steadiness to deal with. Then you, you throw the dummy, you got marking to deal with. The dog's got to go up go out and pick the dummy, but only when told. So he's got to learn the release right. command. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different commands that come into play, and people think, well, that's, you know, 
He just goes out and gets the dummy and brings it back. No. It's not just fetch. There's many things that he has to know before he can get that dummy. Yeah, because one of the things you're talking about, like one of the exercises you'll do, is you'll throw it and walk right past it and keep going. And I think think it was like a memory command or something like that. Yeah, we do trailer memories or circle memories. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So we'll walk out maybe 150 yards and tell them, watch and drop the dummy, and then walk straight back to the point of beginning. Yep. And then turn around, he'll sit and then release the dog, and he's got to remember to go that 150 yards. And we use start with white dummies, and we change to orange because they can't see the orange. Mm-hmm. they got to remember where it was. Right. And then we do a circle memory, which same thing. We walk out with the dog at heel. We drop a, an orange dummy. Then we circle around the training grounds and come back and then send the dog, and he's got to run a straight line to the dummy. Oof. That's called a circle memory. Yeah. And what that does is build memory of where we dropped that dummy. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how fast they catch on. Oh, yeah. I, a, you can see them smell and kind of just yeah. be like, they'll look up and be like, oh, I'm in the r- complete wrong and they, spot. And they're constantly checking, looking to see where my knee is. Mm-hmm. You'll see the head switch over to look, see where they are in relation to my knee. That's part of uh, healing and steadiness. Mm-hmm. We don't want him healing along. The next thing we know, he's in the next county running. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of like I was saying with Ross when we went out on the duck hunt. You know, he'd yeah. he'd run up, kind of do a little lap, make sure everyone was good, and then go right back next to you. Just step, yeah. sit down, and stay right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for, for extended periods. <laughs> right. He was falling asleep. He, you can tell he was like sitting up, kind of close, but he's still steady <laughs> there mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. But you know what? The minute you click a safety on the gun, oh yeah, oh, or oh it's blow like, a duck call. It's Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on it. Shoots right up. Yeah. So one of the other things that's really unique about Mossy Oak Kennels is that you guys do have puppies that come over or and you also breed at the kennels as right. well. That's correct. And we kind of got to see you guys are doing some renovations of the, the puppy house and stuff over there, which is fantastic. I think there's so much thought put into those that – you know, you guys have a, a very strict program for your puppies. I mean, we're talking, you weigh them every morning. You make sure that they're growing adequately. I mean, you're checking temperatures and everything Check like that. Check their body warmth. We, yeah. Uh, we rub them and talk to them. Yeah. So that they get a little stimulation from a human being instead of just mother. Right. And uh, they're very confined. We hip, we put, uh, I guess you call it artificial turf with yeah. a pad in there. Yeah. And what that does, if if you just leave them on the wood, the legs will spraddle out because they can't gain traction. Right. And then you got a spraddle on your hands that you got to work with to get the legs to come back in the right yep. relationship with the body. So we keep that in there. And those little pups you saw the other day, they'll be two weeks old later this week mm. and early next week. And they're already up pretty well walking right now, and their eyes are open. Right. Oh. Uh, that's cute. But, but we stimulate them every morning, pet them, and play with them. And Bobby Clyde, my kennel hand, yeah. his job is socialization with puppies. He loves to play with puppies. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. When uh, when we were out there training, you know, it was Tyler and you, and then the three of us were out there. And you'd see Bobby kind of walking off in the background, and he's like, got a dog. And Tyler was like, oh, yeah, play time with Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he loves dogs. So that's the best job he ever had. Yeah. Well, and what's funny about Bobby is he used to work in the warehouse for yeah. Mossy Oak, right? Yeah. 
24 years, I think. Wow, wow. But that was part-time. He was also working for the company that made boilers for Navy oh, ships got and, it. and uh, electrical generation facilities and stuff like that. Oh, so you guys have multiple connections. Yeah, kind of. He's a he's a really good guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, he's he good. takes a real interest in the puppies. He takes a real interest as the dogs grow. Mm -hmm. And I bet he's out right now walking. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably right. And he keeps the help keeps the kennel clean. Yeah, because cleanliness is godliness, as they say. That's yeah. Right. And if you don't keep it clean, you're going to end up with some kind of bacteria. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we don't like bacteria. <laughs> uh -oh. No. No. For instance, I, I took a litter to the vet, and she said, we need to check their stool to see uh, if they have any intestinal problems, bacterial problems. And I said, eh, that'd probably be all right. But my dogs don't have intestinal parasites. Oh, puppies have intestinal parasites, Mr. Bill. I said, no, mine don't. So she said, well, let's just test one. I said, now, if you're going to test one, you're going to test them all. We might as well just go ahead and test them all. So it takes mm -hmm. about 20 minutes to run the test. She runs a test and comes back up scratching her head, and she says, your puppies don't have intestinal parasites. <laughs> you're like, I told you that. <laughs> yeah. I said, that's what I told you, so I get it free. <laughs> she said, no. no. That's not how that works. <laughs> it's no uncertain term. Yeah. Yeah, so – uh, like I mentioned, you weigh them every day. Every day, and I record the weights. I keep a running uh, worksheet in my computer. Mm -hmm. And what's what's really cool is if you go to the the kennels and you look on the wall, you can see lineage of different dogs, and yeah. I think that's really neat because you track all that for each dog. I track them all. Yeah. Before I breed something, I've got to know what I'm breeding. Health wise, we have hips done, we have elbows done. We have eyes done, and we have a 10 uh, DNA recessive gene analysis run on. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then those that we can match up on the health issues are good, but then they got to go further than that. We don't want to breed. If we have one that's, that's a little hot and one that's a little slow, we'd want to breed those. We wouldn't want to breed two hot dogs and end up with a hot dog litter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Right. And one of the things that you were talking about, it was a, a number measurement as far as, I want to say it was like negative 50 or something like that. You look oh, the at, estimated breeding values. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a stand, measured in standard deviation units. Got it. Starting with zero. Mm -hmm. And they do this on the British website. So my dogs come from over there. I can plug them in and see what the EBV is. Mm -hmm. So if it's a minus... That's a lesser chance of uh, hip dysplasia or elbow dysplasia. For plus, that's a greater chance. And the last two puppies I got were minus 50 and minus 42. Yeah. So that's 42 standard deviation units below zero. The, the middle that's really line. good. Right. Really good. Really that's good. really, really yeah. good. So one of the things that I think is super important for people to understand is, you know, you guys are not in the, the kennel business to just – churn out puppies i mean you guys are super selective and you are really trying to train the best of the best that's very true yeah uh, we uh we want the best puppies that we can propagate without uh, any relationship to the number of puppies we don't want to be a puppy mill we're not in the puppy mill business yeah the, the we had eight litters one year and that's the most we've ever had and that i mean and those puppies i when we were with you last week those puppies are gone. Even they, even the puppies that aren't born yet. 
Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> and you guys sell them to all sorts of people. I mean, yeah. we some of the names that you know we heard that have a mossy oak kennel dog, huge names. I mean, I think um, Tyler Farr, I think was one you said. He had uh, one. He had two that we trained. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, Mike Leach had one, and you know, so there's a a ton of names out there that are looking for mossy oak dogs. Yeah, it's like today I had. Four inquiries. I know. Just before, well, yeah, just, just before, before we, we started, sat down. Yeah, just, before we sat down. <laughs> Last week we sold seven pups. It's wild. Yeah. And of course, about hundred percent of them aren't born yet. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. All these ones that you know we we saw last week that are just about to turn two weeks old. Those are gone. And I think you're you're probably on a wait list. Would you say until next year? Yeah, sometime in twenty three in twenty three this year. Wow. But wow. twenty three will fill out once we determine exactly what we're gonna breed. Yeah, they'll be sold fairly rapidly. Yeah, wow. if you don't get on early, you're not gonna get a low pick. That's for sure. If you get a pick, right? Yeah, and uh, like those you saw last week, only one is not sold. That's called his man. <laughs> <laughs> you kept that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really interesting. Uh, one question I did have is when it comes to it, do you have? Let's say, um, you know, Ryan was to get uh, a dog from Ross and one of your females. And do you have kind of a, do you have a lot of people that say, hey, I want a puppy out of Ross and another one? Or do you like just kind of when the puppies come, you get to choose out of those? We we decide what we're going to breed. We're not breed driven by outside forces, so to speak. We make that decision. Then we announce the litters that we're planning, and they can pick from the litter. Yep, makes sense. And whoever gets their deposit in first gets first pick. Got it. That's been what a lot of people don't realize. There's two first picks, two second picks, because you got male, female, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes you got color coming in. To play. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And if you don't get the right color and the right number. Some people get mad. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could not, control not it. Not mad, but you know, it it kind of hurts not to get their puppy <laughs> on time. Yeah. And uh, and then when you start talking about we're well, moving up to litter, these litters already sold out. Mm-hmm. So then it may delay them for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, so what we do is tell them, well, you can have your deposit refunded, or you can get on a future litter, and. Uh, We'll go from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody backs out on a future litter, then you can step in and have that pup. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to do, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Because we the only if they call and say, Well, I don't want a puppy anymore, I'm gonna quit hunting or something along those lines, then I'm mm-hmm. not gonna refund the deposit. But if it's a sickness in the family or maybe they had a kid that just had a baby and they yeah. can't take a dog right now, then, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll refund or carry them to another litter. Gotcha. Fair's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think is next for, for Mossy Oak Kennels? You guys are expanding the puppy house, which is awesome. I mean, that's such a great facility yeah. that you guys are building out there. What What's next for Mossy Oak? Well, I don't know what I could. Tell you that or not. <laughs> it's uh, just continued growth in the training area yeah. is what we're going to start pushing. Well, I know and, you guys uh, were talking about bringing, on, bringing in another trainer Yeah, as we well. Gonna, we're going to have to do that. 
Yeah. You know, I'm 78 years old, and like I told you, I hope to make another 78, but I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> so we're going to have to bring in somebody that's willing to step up and take my place, and then I'll kind of not slip out the back door, but take a lesser role. Yeah. yeah. And keep up with paperwork and litters and all the things that I do now. But I do that now, and I have to train and have to do everything else, sometimes clean, yeah, uh, take pups to the vet. Might Keep just, up with the records on the pups when their shots were, what shots they yeah. had. Yeah. yeah. It's an everyday job. Yeah. You get and to when, pick and choose later on. You get to, all the sweet jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I like, sweet jobs. I don't take those. All the, yeah. You won't have seen dirty, dirty jobs on TV. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. You just Man. get all the ones with all the perks. Yeah. Right. yeah. I've I've cleaned kennels, washed dogs, uh, disinfected kennels. Keep up with breeding schedules. Keep up with the heat schedules on the females. You know, try to keep up some semblance of them anyway. How well the puppies do out of each litter so that I know if I want to repeat, repeat breeding on that. And by the time you figure all this stuff out, it's several days are gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because training is just about an all-day affair. Yeah. And you still got everything else to do. Right. And then I, I what I do is... The, the monetary part of the revenue part, I go through every now and then and reconcile my books to the office books to make sure that we're still on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, because that's what I noticed when we were down there is training doesn't really start until the afternoon because there's yeah. so much to do beforehand, like cleaning the kennels and, you know. Weighing the puppies. Yeah. Weighing the playing, puppies, yeah. And playing with the puppies. Playing with, <laughs> the, playing puppies. with the puppies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, socialization is is a big part of it, is it not? About ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. So, on the phone so laying, in, end. laying in the bed with the puppies, just yeah, yes, <laughs> you're just working, fine. you're working. working, just fine. Yeah. yeah, like we may we may just let the puppies out and let them walk with us after they've had their first round of shots. They don't mm-hmm. touch grass. Yeah, no. Until first round of shots, yeah, because of parvo. parvo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we may just let them walk with us, follow us around. And that's people say, well, that's not training. Sure it is, mm-hmm. because they're learning to heal. Basically, you, mm-hmm. even though you're not telling them heal, they're learning to follow you and yeah. stay with you. Yeah. yeah, and not run off. And you said that you would have days where you just shut the fence to the kennel and just let them go. Let let the big dogs out. Yeah. Let them run. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure when you get to heaven, that's kind of what it looks like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is, is you just kind of have. I that may be covered up with dogs. <laughs> he probably if, if I get to make that journey, I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I think it's it's really neat what's happening at Mossy Oak Kennels because there's a lot of growth happening. You guys are trying to do a lot of unique things with the British Labs and, you know, trying to use, or not, I shouldn't say trying, definitely using this low-force training method. It's something that if you haven't seen it, it's really unique to watch because I think in the U.S., you know, we have a lot of um, – there's so many different training methods, but I, I this one is so effective to me that, you know, I wish Oreo was a little bit more trainable. That way I could do it. But, you know, there's there's it was it was very, very unique to see. And I think that, you know, what is happening at the kennels is, is awesome. I think to, it, to watch. I think that just speaks to the accomplished everything that they've accomplished at Mossy Oak. And it's what you've built, Bill, with. Uh, with everybody at Mossy Oak, and and I'm sure that the low, uh, low force training methods, not everybody can do that. 
I don't know no. if everybody has got the patience. I don't have to gonna say a lot of people I, don't have the patience. Yeah. And and it's not, you know, it's, there's a lot of different methods and there's methods for and all know, the right work. person. All the methods work. Yeah. Yeah. But that's but, what that's what it does make uh Masio so, Kennel something special. Yeah, but it's just a preference right. deal, you know. Do you prefer to do it this way, this way, or this way? Right. Well I think and, uh, I th- I I think just happenstance of you moving in next to Toxie started this whole journey. Yeah, a whole chain of events, yeah, so mm-hmm. to speak, that um, otherwise probably never would have happened. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be what they call happenstance. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's uh, really unique. I feel like what what I don't you've done videos before, training tips and things like that. Uh, it would be really interesting to to be able to show people in mass kind of like a few of the low force training methods. If there's anything that people like could practice at home with their dogs, not hunting dogs, but yeah. their dogs. I wrote a book on it. Yeah. It's basically, it's, it's not a long it. book, 69, 70 pages, yeah. somewhere around there. But uh, if you condensed it down to a smaller book, it'd be more like 100-something pages. Uh, yeah. And Toxie said, well, maybe we need to publish that. I said, there's not, not as much demand out there for books as it is DVDs mm. and mm. online type stuff. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we talked about it. We talked about doing... Uh, Online training techniques, mm-hmm. not for pay, but for the just anybody want to use it could use it. General right. public, yeah. Mm-hmm. PSA, yeah. And if, if they like it, use it. If you don't like it, don't use it. Don't use yeah. it. But it's yeah. no cost involved. Right. Yeah, I could. I can absolutely see that. As as people start talking more and more about low force training methods, just being able to search and say, "What is this? How do I do this?" Uh, would be impressive. And a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's me, you know. It's, it's like uh, a lot of times when you go pick your puppy up, they hold a two-hour seminar on do's and don'ts and general issues involving a puppy, feeding and crate training and all those things that come up. And if it's like me, I could I could retain about 10% of something that somebody told me, and I think most people are about that same percentage so what I did, I just wrote a do's and don'ts manual, sent a manual home with them, and if they got a question, they can look it up. I explain the manual oh, yeah. to them before they leave, quick quick explanation. I tell them, you, you know, you're probably not going to understand over 10% of it. If I sit here for two hours talking, you get in the car, you start home, so what do you say about that? Here's your manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. And uh, I think a, a, a online presentation would be a really good item, just a, a free deal on all aspects of our low-force training methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. super helpful yeah. for people. Sure. If we want them to, if they're going to bring our dogs back to us, we want those dogs coming back to us in a already handled in a prescribed manner as far mm-hmm. as heal, sit, stay. And the first question they say is, when I start training us as soon as you get home, well, how am I going to do that? I said, well, you got crate training, which is kind of a place training deal. Right. You've got training at feeding time. So you make the pu- you tell the puppy to sit, and if it does not sit, you just you first you put some food in a food bowl, get your scent on it, tell the puppy to sit, and if he does not sit, you walk toward him holding the food bowl up. Well, the closer you get, the more inclined he is to sit. And once he sits, then you start moving the food bowl down. If he gets up, sit again, raise the food bowl up. Mm-hmm. In, in a week, you're going to have that puppy sitting there until you say okay, and then he'll come eat. Mm-hmm. But that 
then when you bring him back to me for training, he's got that sit command down pat. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you walk around with him in the yard, his, he knows what following people is, and the heel training comes pretty easy. <laughs> the main mess up that we see is we tell people, whatever you do, do not just incessantly throw dummies and let the puppy pick it up and come running back. And when the puppy gets right here, you grab it out of his mouth, he swings around, you throw it again, he's right back out there again. The, the problem with that is you're teaching the puppy to drop because within a week he's going to be coming within about three feet feet of you, and he's going to throw that dummy down so you can pick it up faster and throw it again. Yeah. That uh, and you're over-exercising that puppy, which is bad for the hips and the elbows. Mm-hmm. Because that's a contributed factor to dysplasia. Mm-hmm. It's to over-exercise uh, to uh, the, the nutritional value of the dog food, like 30-20 and stuff like that. It's too mm-hmm. high for that puppy. So you're causing fast, rapid bone growth, cartilage growth, and you're going to end up with a dysplasia problem probably. And they don't really know what causes dysplasia. They know that it's probably a combination of factors, genetics, nutrition, and exercise. Right. So if you do that and then you bring a puppy to us and it's dropping, then we got maybe a month wasted because we got to teach the dog to hold the dummy. Yeah. And it's not the puppy that decided to drop the dummy. It's the kind of low-force training you've been doing over, <laughs> over indulging, yeah. I should say, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and causing that problem. Because you'll notice our dogs, when they come back, they hold that dummy. Oh yeah, they, yeah. they hold that bird until mm-hmm. you tell them to release. Oh yeah, and uh, but people could do a lot of that stuff and do it the correct way, and save themselves some money and save us a lot of aggravation of trying. Right. And it's really uh, easy too. To all 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 the things that you say to do, it's like oh that, that makes sense and it's super yeah. easy. I mean, it's just uh, it's easy to do. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's easy to do it right as it is to do yeah. it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's I think the, the hard part is just yeah. people being consistent with it, but. I think yeah. it's one of those things, too, where you kind of know what you're supposed to do, but you've never heard it mm-hmm. before. So, like, the example you just gave with the food, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It's just you kind of almost have to hear it to, like, realize yeah. what. And you know what that's yeah. doing? That's making you the alpha dog to the puppy because you're putting a scent on the food. What's the puppy going to do? He's going to associate food time with yeah. the alpha dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And if you're the zebra dog like my wife she doesn't she doesn't <laughs> stop at beta <laughs> she just keeps going <laughs> yeah she just keeps going then uh you know the puppy's not gonna pay any attention to you right where if you're the alpha dog people ask me says why do the dogs mind you and they won't mind me they recognize me right off the bat as the alpha dog i'm the boss mm-hmm. and uh, i've had my sister trainer say I can't get the dog to do this. And I go out there and does it perfect. Why will it do it for you and not for me? I said, because you're not the alpha dog. You have not proved to this dog that you're the alpha dog. You have not built trust in that dog to trust you in whatever you're telling it to do. Right. And it'll get his reward. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. The dog has to believe. He has to believe yeah. in you. What you're going to do, yeah. I don't think Oreo believes in me. I think <laughs> I think she's just kind of like, you know, you pay the mortgage, but really I, I own the house. I really place. own the house. <laughs> I really own the house. <laughs>
All right, Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the Fieldmaster podcast. Before we go, you are on the Sportsman's Pride Duck Jerky Bites. You are the ambassador on our back. So I was wondering, could you give us a little tip on maybe training with your treats? Sure, be glad to. Uh, this tip is going to deal with crate training. Okay. And what I do is I open the bag, take a treat out, have the pup sit beside me, throw the treat in the crate, and then use the command kennel. As soon as he gets in the crate, I close the door, keep it closed for a second, open it back up, let him back out, and he's pretty well had his treat down by then. Right. And then I'll do it again and a little longer time little longer time in the kennel before I open the door and that's the easiest way in the world to teach them to crate train and that crate becomes a safe place then and when they get older and they come in the house with you you don't have to worry about them chewing holes in the tv screen tearing the couch up tearing a pillow up if they're tired they're gonna go get in their kennel lay down and rest that's and, nice uh, so that's that's my tip for today all right my treats Plus, the treats are good for the uh, hips and, and elbows and their joints. Yeah, they got and, glucosamine and yeah. chondroitin in them. Yeah. right. And that's, that's good for everything. <laughs> They're made with uh, with real duck as well, so they'll get them ready that's for, that, for yeah, duck we, hunting. Uh, <laughs> we notice it tastes like duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us again, and we will see you all on the next episode. I can assure you it's my pleasure. And anytime you want to have a... Another visit, let me know when I'll be over. Will do. Great having you. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you.